Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Victoria Brewster. Vicki has a Master of Social Work degree and a certified end-of-life specialist certification. She's worked as a case manager with older adults for the past 17 years and as a group facilitator. Her past work experience was as a therapist with children and families and as a case manager for adults with mental health issues. She recently launched a consulting business, Northern MSW, to focus on end-of-life issues, planning, training, and advocacy, along with memoir writing and life legacy writing. She co-authored the book, Journey's End, Death, Dying, and End of Life, which is what we will mostly be talking about today with Julie Sager Nuremberg, who we had planned on having on the show, but due to a family to family circumstances, she wasn't able to be here. Uh, but I would want to direct you out there, listeners, um, to the fact that Julie and I had an interview together um, about uh, her father's death and some writing she did about that. So go look that up, and you can get to know Julie too. But meantime, welcome, Vicky. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you. Um, full disclosure, I guess I should say I have a, a chapter in the book, which is very exciting. Um, and thank you for that. Um, getting to um, get some, not only some some word out there about spousal loss, but also um, it's pretty, un- I've, I've looked around, of course, for writing about same-sex partner loss, and there's not a ton out there. So I'm really glad you included that in the book. We, we thought it was really important to include as much as possible in the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's a place to start. <laughs> yeah, because you do include, you know, it's nearly a 500-page book, basically all short pieces of writing so I can't I didn't count up how many people um the book represents but a lot yes uh there's with Julie and I there's 54 of us that's amazing and not to mention all of the rest of the resources and suggestions that you that you compiled um interspersed throughout so it's quite a resource yes um I, I don't I know a little bit about how Julie came to do this type of work um, because of you know her own experience with her her dad and um, kind of being um, illuminated about end of life and grief and uh, all of that but I don't know much about how you came to be or I at least I didn't before I read the book could you talk about what brought you to uh, wanting to create this book? Uh, sure. Uh, so, um, I'm, well, A, I work with seniors, and I've worked with older adults for about 17 years now. So I've been exposed quite a bit to uh, quite a few, unfortunately, clients dying, because when you're with 
you know, a senior that long, it's, it's going to happen. So uh, between my work and also uh, between family and extended family, colleagues, friends, uh, I had one of my neighbor's uh, children who um, had an unfortunate accident, so I've been exposed quite a bit to death. And um, between the two, um, part of what I do also is doing book reviews on the side, and that's mm-hmm. actually how I met Julie, is I did a book review of her uh, story of what she wrote about her dad and his process of going through with being diagnosed and uh, passing away. So that's kind of how I got into it. <laughs> and I would imagine that the project took an incredibly long time to produce, just given uh, the logistics of, of that many contributors and that much information. Julie and I, through our own networks, through LinkedIn, through people we knew, colleagues, professionals, um, we were able to connect with quite a few people, which is what really what made our book what it is. It wouldn't be what it is without you and other people having contributed to it. Um, and we had collected a lot of information over time, and we both were kind of got to the same page of like, you know, well, we should write a book. We should put all this into a book. Because when you go to bookstores and you look, you know, the section on death and dying is extremely small. Mm. It, it's a shelf. And it's like each book is its own individual story, but there's no kind of one book or one book that has a lot that encompasses so much. So yes. part, of our, part of our goal with the book was to have it cover as much as possible. So, you know, looking at spousal death, partner death, whether it was a, what here in Quebec we call common law, living with your partner, whether it was a, a gay or lesbian partner, wanting to include, you know, parents, children, grandchildren, pets, uh, clients. We've had, uh, we have like everything as, as much as possible in the book, to be honest. Um, and, and you included um, a little bit about... Um, Pregnancy loss and uh, abortion, which I thought was a little bit unusual. Um, I read a lot of of end-of-life books, as you can imagine, (laughs) and um, I've only read one, um, May Cause Love, that specifically is about uh, abortion. Uh, It's a very excellent book, but it's a little bit uh, rare for there to be open talk about uh, the grief. And so I was glad to see that as part of it um, because any loss is, is grief, <laughs> you yes. know, um, yes. not, n- you know, nothing about uh, right, wrong, but just um, losses go in that way for lots of people. So um, referring a little bit back to the work that you do, um, just so people can get a, a feeling of the book a little bit. Um, could you read the section about what you've you've learned from? Uh, I think the section is called "Death of Clients" from your work in the um, with older uh, people. Yes. So uh, that piece was titled uh, "Death of Clients: What I've Learned." Um, I was hired as a case manager to work with older adults and co-facilitator of the group that was specifically for Holocaust survivors. The group members and I have been through quite a bit together over the years. They have shared the joyful times in their lives of grandchildren and great-grandchildren born, bar and bat mitzvahs, marriages, anniversaries, but we've also shared and journeyed together through death, death of their family and friends, death of fellow group members, and the death of my family members. At the same time death is happening, I realize this group has taught me so much. 
Think of all they witnessed and lived through during the Holocaust and how many family and friends they lost to death, how much death they witnessed, and how their lives were and are forever changed. They survived horrible situations, whether in ghettos, work camps, death camps in Russia, in hiding, some were on death marches, but they left Europe to come to Canada to start over, to raise families, and to be a part of Canadian society. And they had hope. They, Holocaust survivors, have not let their war experiences define them. They have taught me acceptance, love, hope, to move on with your life, and to advocate for those less fortunate. And for that, I am forever grateful. I recently uh, interviewed a woman named Elizabeth Rossner who wrote a book um, about her um, being the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. And there, there's just so, so much depth of experience there that uh, when people are sharing it is so powerful. Yes. Uh, and it sounds as if uh, it was an environment in which people did share with you kind of what they had been through. Uh, so, so I'm curious because uh, my intersection with that is kind of having a loss in my life young. Uh, this is on no scale like the Holocaust, of course, but right. having, a, having a loss young and now aging and uh, having many more losses around me um, just because of my age and what right. a different experience it is. Uh, and so I wonder if, you know, what what you can say about um, how it is for them to have that in their background, but then face kind of what we might call normal aging and dying. Um, I can imagine that being a very powerful collision of experiences. I, th- I think what I found, because I've worked with Holocaust survivors for 17 years, um, I've heard many stories about what happened to them during the Holocaust, what happened during the war, the family members, friends, you know, neighbors that they lost. And then moving forward over the years, many of them have lost. It's unusual, and you usually don't expect that a parent is going to outlive a child. But some of them have lost their own children or had, you know, close friends. And, and at just being at the age they are, obviously their cohorts, there's many that have, you know, unfortunately passed away. And for some of them, I think they're facing the that they, they want to either talk about their story, they want to, some of them want to shield their family a little bit from death, some of them want to talk about it and be more open about it, mm-hmm. and if not with their family, they may turn to whether it's me or somebody else, because we're not family. And they may bring up the topic that they want to talk a little bit about when they're ready, and how do they talk to their family. Right. I can imagine it being kind of part of a, a, a really common experience of life review yeah. and kind of um, making sense of our experiences uh, when we're looking back on them that many people um, participate in later in their lives. I think no matter, no matter who, there's, there's a life review. I think no matter what age you are, I think you would be looking at kind of what you did, what's happened. You might even still be thinking about things that you still want to do. Sure, of course. Yeah. And so it it sounds to me like the deepest way that you came to this subject is is professionally, although it also sounds as if you'd ha- you've had personal losses, but you're kind of Im- immersed because of work. Would that be um 
accurate? Uh, yeah, I would say probably more of my answers came as I continued to work with, with older adults and being exposed to it more. Um, you know, for me, I, you know, if I have a client that uh, has died, if I can, I'll, I'll go to the funeral. Or, uh, you know, and, and again, I work at a Jewish agency, so most, most of my clients are Jewish, so they have a week shiva afterwards. Yeah. So a client I've known for a long time, if I'm not able to make the funeral, I might try to go to the shiva. Um, mm. we, we send cards, you know, with the group I'm in. Whenever a group member has experienced a loss, whether it's a spouse or a child, or we send a card to let them know we're thinking of them. And I think that's one way to let anybody know that you're thinking of them through what's a difficult time. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, kind of circling back to the book, um, it was interesting to me that it's it's so many different voices, of course, so many different perspectives, so many uh, different losses, um, some of it more um, professional advice, some of it very much personal um, uh, personal essay, I guess. But there did feel to me, uh, I, I did feel a sense of underpinning um, values that you were um, trying to get across that all the articles fit into, for instance, um, uh, inviting grief, inviting uh, an, a kind of honest appraisal, um, clear-sightedly looking at end of life, mm-hmm. and I, I suppose you couldn't have engaged in a in you know putting together a five hundred page book if you didn't want to um, have people kind of come forward towards end of life. But I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your underlying philosophy that that um, underpins the book a bit. I think for both Julie and I, we feel it for death for a lot of people, even talking about it, planning for it, discussing it, even mentioning it is almost taboo. People, people don't want to talk about it. They don't, even if you try to have discussions, sometimes, you know, people will just shut you down and not even want to continue um, so part of our, our goal is to make it more common, to make it a normal part of life to talk about it, to plan for it, to, you know, participate, whether it's in a group or anything. Trying to make it more normal, I think trying to bring it back to, like long ago, funerals and things took place in the community and at home, and, and, and viewings and mourning took place at home. It didn't happen in a funeral home. It didn't happen outside the home environment so much, and the whole community would participate and, and be there to offer support. So part of our goal is almost trying to bring it back to that, trying to mm-hmm. make it more a part of common life and where it's, it's not so taboo. You know, I think there's so much value in that. I, I did happen to have a wake for my wife, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't. I I don't even know how to count how many people came through my house in those um, those hours. Uh, it was day and a half, two days. And a lot of the things I've heard people describe, like um, being ripped to shreds when, when uh, someone comes for the body or, you know, these moments that are so tearing for people, I really didn't experience that because... It was all at my pace. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I feel that's really an important aspect of what you're talking about, that you're giving people some permission to kind of do it the way it works for them, and both for themselves and for people they've lost. We, we also think, I, you know, if, I, if you go even further outside that, it's just funerals and death and dying have become somewhat commercial, I, or very commercial, I would say. Funerals are very expensive to have them outside, and you know what, if, it, if it's me, I would want to, and I know I'm dying, let's say, I would want to be able to see people and speak to people before. I don't, and I want to talk to them before I go. I don't want it to all take place after, because then I'm not, I'm not, I don't get to hear it. I'm not really there for it. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, what you would term more of a celebration of life ceremony is kind of having people come around before. And that's only in the times, of course, that you can do that. But again, it makes it... it it makes it more meaningful. I think it, it brings a lot of closure to people. You know, it's, um, I think it's important. And whether, you know, you, you watch videos or you, you share funny stories or um, favorite foods or just being there for the person, you know, to me, that's, there's, no more, there's no more beautiful way. It's the only way I know how to put it. You know, um, I think... Many people, my, I would include myself in this, before I had deep experience with death, uh, you know, people say, I, I want to die in my sleep, you know, have a great life and then die in my sleep. And I don't want that at all anymore. Um, because what you're describing really involves knowing that death is most likely on the way. Mm-hmm. And recognizing it and engaging in conversation about that, doesn't it? Yes. So would that be your preference as well? If, if I had the choice. If, if we get to have the choice, which we uh, don't. But <laughs> uh, Well, none, none of us know how, it's gonna, how that's going to happen. But I, I would want to be with my family and friends personally. I would want to have kind of that and that closure, that that. that almost taking the funeral and almost having it before, if it was possible. Um, yes, that would be my preference. But again, I don't know really what would happen, right? <laughs> I, no, I think- of course not. Of course not. And that's, um, but, but it's just interesting to me how, at least for me, actually experiencing quite a bit of death uh, gave me a strong preference for the kind of... Um, prepared death you know you know it's coming and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. I think at one point in my life that would have been counterintuitive like I would have thought that being around death would make me more more afraid of it or something but it didn't go that way that way to be honest Uh, you know I think that when you think of a funeral it's very somber it's very people are very serious it's you know it's yes they're crying and yes there's sorrow but does, it doesn't have to be that way, if, if that's one way of wording it. You're, um, you're, you're reminding me of a, of a friend I had who uh, actually was the, the um, original founder of the Women's Cancer Resource Center, an agency I work with here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And she decided she didn't, um, she didn't really want a funeral. She wanted a, a, like a roast before mm-hmm. she died, she knew it was coming. And, you know, maybe 200 people came and people wrote funny 
poems that they performed and um, told, you know, strange stories about. It was the most hilarious event and so enjoyable for her to be able to hear how people felt about her uh, in funny ways and serious ways before she died. Mm-hmm. So um, that's I haven't thought about that for quite a while. So thank you for bringing it back to mind. We're going to take our first our first break now, and when we come back, um, I'd like to we're 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 on the edge of this um, conversation about what makes for what people call a good death, if such a thing exists. Uh, I feel we've gone partway into that and let's let's come back and talk more about it and listeners you can find links to my website social media at the good grief page at voice america uh please be in touch i really want to hear what you think which shows uh move you what you'd like to see more of and to find journeys End, go to www.journeysendbooks.com be back soon Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighouse for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. 
Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Victoria Brewster about the book she co-wrote with Julie Sager-Nirenberg, Journey's End, which is a compilation of writings about end of life. And Vicki, before the break, we were um, on the edge of kind of talking about our own conceptions of a good death, I guess. And... Um, you do you do write uh, you and Julie wrote a little piece about a good death. Maybe we should start there and then and then talk a little bit about um, that whole concept. Of course, that can get overly romanticized and uh, in our country we'd say Hollywoodized and <laughs> but um, but I still think the idea of thinking about what elements we we want to invite. Uh, at the end of our lives is meaningful. So would you share that um, little piece from the book? Sure. So um, it says, What constitutes a good death? Many among those who approach death themselves or assisted dying people have contemplated this question and made suggestions on this subject. The following discussion of factors that support a good death is neither comprehensive nor thorough. There are so many divergent thoughts on the topics of a good death that an entire text could be devoted to this subject alone. But some fairly common themes emerge when one gathers such information. For us, meaning Julie and I, having adequate emotional support from family and close friends would be one ideal to contribute to a good death. Being in an environment where our own spiritual beliefs and religious traditions can be personalized and honor is another, if possible, um, I'd like to be lucid and not suffering too much to appreciate what is taking place. I'd like to have meaningful conversations and to convey in writing those personal narratives that are important to me to be left and passed along to family and friends. I'd like to know my peace with each of my loved ones and they with me so that I feel able to release my old untended fences that need mending in my life. I'd like to ensure that I've set all financial obligations and that any assets I have are passed along according to my wishes, honoring my designated priorities. All these will contribute to my own good death if I'm so lucky. So that's just a little excerpt from that section. You know, I'm, I'm aware of all the times that um, conflict comes along with death because... Um, well, often because people avoid facing it for as long as possible, and then there's kind of no time left to do things like mend fences or make peace with the people you love, or um, yeah. and and it uh, that always um, that's always so so painful to me when it when it happens with uh, clients I have or people I encounter uh, because it's it's um, Maybe because it's so opposite to the experience that I had, uh, both with my partner's death and with my parents' deaths, that they were times of coming together. Um, what do you think favors that aspect of it, that people uh, kind of uh, clear up their business um, in advance? I would think many would want to do that if they could, but... Obviously, there has to be open lines of communication between the individuals. Um, some, you know, some family members may not want to be around somebody who's dying, and maybe they avoid. They don't want to go to the hospital. They don't want to go to the hospice or even see them. And for some, even for some friends, it's very difficult. So, 
I think people have to be pretty open-minded. It's interesting, though, because uh, my wife, for instance, she was sick for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And there were quite a few people that were, and she was supposed to die in six months to a year. I should put that in. But then she didn't. She lived for eight or 10 years beyond her diagnosis. And um, there were many people who were scared to to be with her when she was sick and so they kind of disappeared from her life, from our life. Yeah. But then when the word went out that she really was truly dying, several of them uh, came to visit to say goodbye. And they had such a wrenching experience because she was in, you know, pretty rough shape at that point, And they had had no process Mm-hmm. To get to the point, and they, uh, I, I'm remembering one person in particular who just all the, you know, color drained from her face, and I thought she she kind of invited what she was trying to avoid because it was much, it was, if you hadn't been, you know, along for the ride the whole time, a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people who had been in and out of our house all the time didn't have any of that, you know. I think part of it also has to do with upbringing and how how you were exposed yourself when you were younger and just going through life. You know, was it talked about? Was it discussed? You know, if you were a child and grandparents had died, were you, did you go to the funeral? Were you part of it? Did your parents talk to you about it? So I think also just the, your, your, your values, your traditions, how you're brought up, you know, your religion, your culture, there's so much that comes into it. Absolutely. Yeah, I... Uh... I knew Stephen Levine quite well. I don't know if you know his work, but I was at a workshop once and I was during the break talking to him and um, he said, when my my grandmother died when I was uh, a little boy, seven or eight, and um, they they didn't let me go. They thought I was too young. And I've been trying to prove that I could handle it ever since. <laughs> and yeah. of course, you know, he's he's um, a big deal in the end of life community and grief community. And I thought, well, we got some benefit from that, but that it was a very painful experience yeah. he had of really needing that um, chance to say goodbye and participate and not being allowed to. Yeah, I think uh, I know with even my, with my own kids, you know, when their uh, great-grandmothers had passed away and when other family members, extended family, they were part of it. You know, they went to the funeral. Like, it was something that we felt was important. They should be exposed. These are people in their lives. Like, how, how can they not go and not be part of it? Like, the person doesn't just disappear. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you, and they've had, they have pets. So they've had, you know, pets pass away so, and die. So they're, they've been exposed. And they know that this is an area I work in, so I think it's a. Li- I'm hoping, at least for them, it'll be a little bit more common. It'll just co- it'll just seem as natural <laughs> to to be exposed and to talk about it as they get older. But I can't. Yeah, that's, well, that's not the same for all kids. No, but I also think it's sort of. Uh, I, I I haven't ever known a kid who had a terribly hard time with it, unless the adult that was communicating with them about it was having a hard time. Right. Uh, I think we we pass on our anxiety somewhat to our kids, I guess. And I think Uh, sometimes adults don't know what to say, or they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. 
For sure. So, so recommendations, if there are adults out there who are with kids that, um, you know, and they're, they're afraid of how to deal with it? There are many, if you were to go online, there's many resources, there's different books that can be read to kids, you know, sometimes having other, another adult be there with them, you know, talk about, have, have they ever been around, you know, a friend that they've talked about a grandparent dying or a pet dying, um, and I think if they need to, there's always professionals out there that people can turn to that can help. For sure. And there's movies, I mean, there's, I mean, I can't think of a specific name now, but there's, many between books and movies that could be used also. Mm. I just ran across a kid's book. I wish I could remember the name, but it's a from, by a Danish author uh, about death coming for the grandmother and the kids sitting at the table all night with death and um, slowly coming to the point where they could accept letting her go. It, uh-huh. it looked very beautiful. I'm going to get a copy for sure. Um yeah. If 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 you put death and children in the search bar, I bet it's gonna and and Danish. I'll bet it's gonna yeah, come sure. up. <laughs> it's been tran- translated into English. Beautiful, beautiful illustration. So there are some some resources out there. And speaking of resources, I'd like to give you um, plenty of time to just talk about at some you know at some length the different types of resources in your book. Um, you know, there's, uh, as I mentioned, um, a, a great volume of different resources, but they kind of fall into categories, and I wondered if you could talk about that some. So besides the uh, different perspectives that professionals and uh, and individuals wrote about their own experiences, whether, you know, family, friend, or a client or a patient, we have other resources in here that talk more specifically about grief and bereavement. Um, there's checklists in here that people can use when they, if, if they're, you know, wanting to plan for their own death. You know, there's, we talk about advanced care directives where you can put down your wishes and put it in writing, which is, I think is important. I mean, a lot of us kind of put that off, thinking, oh, yeah, I'll get to it one day, and then what if something happens? And then all of a sudden your family and the medical team are trying to figure out what they should be doing with you and yes. for you. So I think it's important to, to, to put in writing what it is you want medically. You know, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to be incubated? Do you want, you know, pain medication or surgery? Um, so we talk about that. We have, uh, there's different training tools and educational tools. We have a lot of different references. Each, at the end of each chapter, there's, you know, different books and websites and resources that people can turn to. So that's, um, that's the other part of the book. And um, there's different, uh, different professionals have written where, uh, you know, that one of them might be, you know, a menu of questions for your critical care choices where you're talking about, you know, what you want. Um, there's specific checklists in here. I'm trying to find one. I'm actually going through the book right now. <laughs> 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 Uh, where people can, uh, you know, kind of, it's a checklist of like what to think about, what to, what to do, what to, you know, what, what to put in writing or the kind of conversation you might want to have with somebody, you know, putting your finances in order, kind of putting your life in order. You know, there's different professionals who this is what they do for a living where they, they're either specifically working with people in grief and bereavement and mourning. 
um, or they're doing training where they're working with professionals and providing training to them um, to teach them a little bit more about, you know, death and dying and end of life. Um, so it's quite, it's quite comprehensive, to be honest. Definitely. And, um, you know, I just want to put in a word that um, many, many people cannot afford uh, the professional resources that, um, that might be helpful. So having a, a place to gather information that is not expensive yeah. uh, is extremely valuable because uh, and there there are your you know your book of course there there are some pretty good resources out there but the thing about your book is you're a resource of resources <laughs> so <laughs> uh, whatever it is someone needs they could you know find a link or a place to go to to kind of um, deal with whatever it is they're dealing with yes Yes, I mean there's there's books, there's websites mentioned, there's you know videos that people could watch. There's different you know indiv- websites just to go to to look for. I mean there's tons of information. So again, I it, it's quite it's too comprehensive to, to go through right now. But it also talks about you know planning and preparedness. Um, you know if I look at one of the checklists, it's an end of life checklist that talks about you know talking with your parents. So having that conversation with your parents. You know, spending time together, uh, saying goodbye. Um, you know, part of it also looks at, you know, culture, and and uh, looking at you know the society in general of how it's how it's viewed and how it's seen. Um, we also talk about you know assisted dying, which is a huge topic that's out there, um, especially in the California. You yeah. know, it just it just legalized in California, yep. and it's been a, a huge topic uh, of conversation. Yeah. Less so, interestingly, um, you know, as time has gone by, it's it's kind of um, part of the system now, and um, it it's uh, to my mind been surprisingly low um, friction. Because uh, there was a lot of friction before it, before it legalized, certainly. Mm. What is that like in Canada? Well, Canada, we have. I mean, right across Canada, there's policies in place. And uh, Quebec was first, actually, putting their own in. Um, but it's very specific. And I, mean, I couldn't, it's a, it's a huge chapter. And there's a whole chapter in the book where we talk about, you know, euthanasia and assisted dying around the world, the different countries, you know, in the states, how many states already have it in place, which ones are debating the legislation. We talk, I, I have a whole section in there specifically about in Quebec of how it can happen and what very specific rules and criteria are put in place, which is very different from, say, somewhere like Switzerland where it's a little bit more open and, you know, not having to go step by step by step through it. Yeah. Um, I, I originally sort of felt as if there, there wasn't enough process for the California law, mm-hmm. uh, but then I I, um, I was teaching a program and had uh, someone who's very expert at um, has has a whole medical practice for um, you know people who want to avail themselves of the law. And it really changed my thinking because from his view, um, 
doctors should be able to evaluate competency. They should be looking out for, you know, resources that could help. You know, they should know how to evaluate already. <laughs> and it's just extending it to, to this particular area. I found that very interesting because um, I was thinking, oh, no, they should everyone should have a mental health evaluation and all of the rest. But um, I shifted a bit in the course of, of working with him. I think if you were to go into each, each country and each state and go like literally one by one and read what's allowed, the rules will be very different amongst all of them. The criteria will be different. Um, but it's a, it's a topic. I mean, it's, you know, I've had a lot of time on that particular topic, but it's definitely something that's come up because of different people who've, you know, used it and prevailed themselves of it. And again, not, which not is actually, sure. as it turns out, more people are glad to have the option and don't use it yeah. than, than people yeah. actually use it, which makes sense to me. You know, uh, if you know you can turn off the drill, you can stand it longer kind of thing, according to studies. It's a choice. Or, you know, for yeah. some, there's many that maybe never would, but they know it's an option should they, should they, should they want it. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, the kind of... Um, desire for uh in a way a planned death one you you know and i can imagine some people would see that as a planned death uh at a level you know beyond um just knowing it's coming it's time mm-hmm. for our second break already vicky okay uh, <laughs> Listeners, you can go find me at my, my website, weatheringgrief.com, at the Good Grief Host page, and you can find uh, Victoria Brewster and Julie Sager-Nirenberg in that book at www.journeysandbooks.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Victoria Brewster, and we've been talking about the book she co co-authored and edited with Julie Sager-Nirenberg called Journey's End. And during the break, Vicki, we were talking about how important it was to the two of you to be comprehensive, to really include uh, myriad experiences, myriad resources, to kind of be a one-stop shop. Would that be a way to, to say it? Um, yeah, you could say that. I, I think for both of <laughs> One-stop shopping, yes, of the go-to book. A go-to book, yeah. uh, uh, And I wanted to just mention that, um, to me, you know, I think a lot about what it was like when I was dealing with someone's end of life and uh, then grieving. And um, I couldn't read anything long. And so the fact that you're... Every chapter is quite short. I don't think there are any really long chapters, are there? There might be a couple that are, say, eight pages. Yeah, but, you know, most of them yep. are, are quite short. I think that's important for people in the, in the, um, in the drink, you know, <laughs> actually yes. eating these resources desperately that they can go to the index, look up something that's about you know, what's going on with them, and read something short. Yes. Did you do that intentionally? Um, honestly, no. Our, our, rule, our guidelines are kind of let people write, and then the, the together we would edit as necessary. But I found for a lot of people, they were able to say what they needed to say in a very concise way and to put a lot of emotion and a lot of heart and soul into it and really get their point across without having to put it into 20 pages. So That's I, I admire all the it? people who've contributed to this book with us. You uh-huh. included. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, of course, with with the popularity of blogs, and I should mention that your website does have a um, a blog on it. Yes. Uh, for ongoing things that you're writing about end of life, so definitely go look that up. Um, but. We're getting used to a shorter form, aren't we? Um, even many of the essay books uh, that I've, um, you know, had guests on and they've written books of personal essays, they tend not to be very long. Um, I don't know if that's just a cultural shift or what, but I think it matches well with, you know, end of life, grief and loss for sure. For us, it was uh, very important to kind of look at loss all throughout life. So, I mean, everything from abortion to miscarriage to pet death, any type of family death, all the way up to clients, patients, um, you know, society's views. You know, we have, we talk about palliative and hospice care in there. We have resources. Um, 
You know, we talk about deaf cafes, which are something that are going on around the world. We have perspectives from nurses and social workers and doctors and funeral directors and lawyers. And for us, that was very important because I think it's, like you said, it's good to have one spot you can kind of turn to and have something brief to read. But then we list a whole slew of resources that people can go to for further reading. So the comprehensiveness was important. And set you out a big task. Yeah. uh, um, I know the book hasn't been out very long, but I just wondered, um, you know, often when I when I interview authors, um, the the time after the book comes out where people are engaging with it and maybe engaging with you is pretty profound also. And I just wondered what kind of um, um, inroads you've been able to make to get the word out about the book and what kind of response you've been getting. Um, so again, we, we self-published the book, but the Ex Libris is the one that kind of, we don't have too much with the numbers so far, but a lot of it's been more people, either I've come across them through Facebook or I've come across them through LinkedIn or through other people, um, who are looking for, for a book to turn to. And most have said, you know, it's, it's good. Like you said, it's got short chapters in it. It's very comprehensive. Um, it's also, I think, a great educational tool. So whether you're, you know, a social work student or a student or a future doctor or nurse, this is a great book to turn to because it has so much in it. And it provides you with a lot of information of what you could be, you know, what you might be experiencing in your professional life or even in your personal life. Um, so we've had, a lot, we've had good feedback. We're still working on, you know, we're still working on, get, on getting the word out. Um, we've had a few different interviews. Uh, I'm going to be in a local author salon here in Montreal in May to talk about the book. Um, and we're always, we have Facebook, we have, a, we have our own site for Journey's End on Facebook, and with our blog, and I have my own blog, and we just continue to put the word out as much as we can through different social media um, avenues. But part of our goal is really to get through uh, the educational piece as well. So that, I know from my own experience, given what I have ended up doing in my life, when you, when you encounter death and it deeply affects you, um, it can become quite a, a mission, or a heart's mission. Um, I sort of sense that the two of you are in that category of um, kind of having a passion for getting the word out. Yes. We, like I said in the beginning, we want to make this topic much less taboo than it is. Get more people talking about it so that it's not so difficult. We want to make it more seem more part. It's part of the life cycle. I mean, in order to be born, you're going to die sometime. So you might as well talk about it, plan for it if you can, put down what it is you want, and and have these discussions with your family and your friends. I think that's really important so that, you know, if you're not able to speak at that time, you have somebody who can speak for you or you have paper that can speak for you that, you know, clearly states your wishes. Absolutely. I just just recently redid uh, my own, and... um, did it through five wishes and the thing that, uh, you know, the longer I do this work, the more complex what I want becomes. And I noticed um, that the, you know, uh, advanced healthcare directive was not really covering a whole lot of things, (laughs) you know, that I would want. Um, You know, for instance, I can't imagine uh, not having music around me. Mm-hmm. You know, for for an instance, um, and I can't. I I don't want 
a memorial should should my family want to have one that's a whole lot of talking you know those things that are really more about who you are mm-hmm. and what you personally might want that has nothing to do with you're in an accident and right. you know you're on tubes and do you unplug them or not that is actually a very rare, rare situation uh, when yep. it comes down to it so um, I think I think it's great that your book sort of enc- encourages a di- deep dive into thinking about death overall um, and how we relate to it yes and we have, uh, you know, we have different resources in there that will talk about how to how to have those conversations. You know, it's they have different games and different like playing cards and different ways. You know, you can kind of get the topic out there without it being so somber and so mournful, just to talk about it. So that there's a whole list of resources in here about that. I know there's a a town in Midwest America, for instance. Uh, you mentioned the Conversation Project in your book, yes. um, which is a great online free resource and uh, for end-of-life planning. I know there's a town in in the Midwest somewhere that like 90% of the people who live there have participated in the Conversation Project. So that's that's what we would like that's, for the future, huh? Yes. <laughs> would yes. You, would you, we're getting close to the end. I wonder if you'd read that little piece by your co-author, uh, Julie Sager-Nirenberg. It's called Did Your Data Melt Like the Snowman, which is such a title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so it says, uh, Granddaddy, who'd been living as a widow for, widower for nearly 20 years, was ripe and ready to go when he died at the age of 96. He was lucid in wonder daily why he was still here and what purpose could be served by his remaining alive. I gain compassion for this stage of the dying experience when a body is not as ready as its heart and mind. Granddaddy wanted to talk about it, and together we cried a bit. He wiped my tears and I wiped his. A moment of connection I will always treasure. He was ready to join his beloved, my grandma, who died so many years before. So finally on Christmas Day he got his wish. His death on that day always seemed an added bonus to the spirit of Christmas experience. I remember it as the greatest gift for him to receive the blessing of passing on that special day. That's what That's Julie such, wrote. I, I, that, of course, um, you know, resonates with my experiences, but is so contrary to the way that people often talk about um, a loss that it's... Um, sort of a day of calamity and um, and true which of course uh, especially if someone is younger um, there is that aspect of it too but the fact that she could really celebrate his getting his wish almost shall we say yeah uh, I find that beautiful it is it is beautiful well we just have a very brief time and I wonder if there's any last words you'd like to uh, like to share before we wrap it up um, just that uh, you know I, I would just like to think that through this through our writing this book and through our talking about it and through shows like that you're doing and getting other people talking about it, it's going to make it more make it more common make it seem more normal get people maybe not that town in the Midwest to be at the rate that they're at <laughs> <laughs> but, but better, uh, huh? Being, uh, being a little bit more open-minded to it. <laughs> that's, that's both of our hopes. 
Yes. I want to thank you for being with me today, Vicki. And so much, uh, I'm Carol. sure we'll I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Yes. Next week I'll have Kelsey Crow, the co-author of There Is No Good Card for This, and the founder of Help Each Other Out, an organization which offers workshops, online education, and community events to promote to promote empathy and relationship building. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.